Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with atypical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries, and develop your own brilliant projects. When Larissa Topalo arrived in Zurich for love three years ago, with no network nor someone to go to, she decided to launch her own blog, a way to establish a name for herself in this foreign city and to potentially find a job. In her blog, Just Move to Switzerland, Larissa tells about her daily life as an expat, her discoveries, her joys, but also her difficulties. And in a city as international as Zurich, her tone and sincerity are really much appreciated. In just one year, she gets 10,000 followers. When you live abroad, the country that you live in is so much in the top of your mind every day. Because anything that happens, it's like, okay, I went and didn't understand that some, what something said right because I live in Switzerland and they speak Swiss German. You are so aware every day that you are living somewhere else, that you are a foreigner. It's like looking you in the face. And so there's this extra aspect of the foreignness. It's super tough. In this discussion, Larissa reveals her origins and tells about her studies between Canada and Europe. She describes her passion for communication and explains me how she's always been working to value and promote her work. Today, more than 42,000 people are following Larissa. Enough for her to quit her job in communications at UBS and to become independent. And I was waiting for the moment where I felt like, okay, I've learned as much as I need right now to feel confident that I've, you know, I've built a profile and people know me and I have the skills and experience here in Switzerland that people would trust me also, you know, as a, as a freelancer. Larissa explains me her business model based on content production, influence and consulting missions. You will hear about her tips and tricks to create a community as powerful as hers. We discuss about the status of influencers and their responsibility towards the audience. I question their authenticity and I get to discover the ins and outs of this business as well as the best practices for working with influencers. At the end of the day, you have probably two goals. You want to either promote the product, to promote sales of the product or the service, or you want to create awareness around it. Like you just want people to know the brand. And both of those things are going to happen much more naturally if you let the influencers talk to their audience in their own voice, in their own matter, because then it's authentic. If it's like pure advertising, it's not going to connect with the audience. We talk about the difficulty for freelancers to define the worth of their work. And Larissa shares her tips and organizational advices. The discussions give me a better understanding of what it means to be an influencer. And I discover a sensitive, ambitious and extremely determined woman. So don't lose a minute and dive into this powerful conversation. Let's go. Dear Larissa, thank you very much for coming to my place and for accepting my invitation. 
I'm really happy to have you as part of the brilliant women that I interview here. To start with, I always like to ask the same question. What did you think when you heard this name, Brillante, for mm -hmm. the first time? And um, do you have an example of a sparkling woman, someone that is really inspiring you, that you would like to talk about? So thank you so much for having me, first of all. I love the podcast and uh, it's an honor to be here. And I love your apartment. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I first, I think the name is brilliant. Because literally, because it's, um, you know, women, when they go after the things that they want um, and they achieve things, they, they, they do sparkle and they inspire others. And I think it's a great idea to, um, you know, have a podcast that tells these stories and shares these stories and spreads them. So I thought the name was great. It definitely um, convinced me to be a part of it. So thanks again for the invitation. And in terms of um, an example of an inspiring woman, I never have just one. It's very difficult to have just one because I I make a point of surrounding myself with women who are amazing at different things. Mm -hmm. You know, I have friends who are just in like I have a friend who's an incredible businesswoman and you can just see that, you know, she's going to be CEO, uh, you know, of a great company in five years. Like she's just so good. I have a friend who's a great mother. I have a friend who's really fit. I have a friend, you know, who's great at her corporate career. Like all of these women who are just killing it in different ways and by having them you know in my life they you know inspire me in all these different ways to also be like a better version of myself and the other thing I do is if I come across a woman who I think is doing a really good job I try to kind of follow her on all the possible channels and support her you know with likes and encouragement and comments uh, because I think we need to do that and I also want to have that energy in my life in my feed you know just to see women succeed so I can never give just one example I think the The woman that inspires me is like a better version of myself in the future. Like I think about who I want to be and I try to kind of become that. And so that's what I think. Who would you like to be? Um, I want to be someone who knows very clearly what she wants, is very honest with herself and has absolutely no fear in going after it, no matter what is happening. I think that's very hard to do. Actually, it's harder than people think because a lot of time we're not as honest with ourselves about what we really want and we maybe let others' opinions or whatever is happening in our life kind of, you know, persuade us. And even if we know what we want, we are sometimes scared to do it. We think, oh, well, maybe I'm not qualified enough or what will people think? Or, you know, maybe this is difficult. Well, uh, you know, maybe I don't have what it takes, whatever it is. Like there's so many things that we let prevent us from doing what we want. Um, and I want to be the person that just goes after it, doesn't care. You know, if I fail, that's fine. I get back up and I go and I do it again. That's who I want to be. I was going to come to this uh, just a bit after, but you were just posting this morning <laughs> this post on Instagram saying that uh, uh, you've been waiting until being really qualified before doing things. And yeah. you, re you recommend women and, and people to just go for it. Just go for it. Yeah, there's because the thing is, you're never going to if you feel that you're not qualified enough, that is a self-doubt that you have. There is not a level out there that somebody's going to come to you and say, hey, now you've done these five years, you've done this, this, this. Now I'm going to pat you on the shoulder and give you a certification. Now you are qualified. That's not going to happen. You know, you have to just believe in yourself that you can do it and just jump off the deep end and do it. Like you just have to start because if you have this inside you, this thing that you really want to do, if it's already in your gut, if it's already inside you, there's a reason, you know, then then you have somewhere the skills and the abilities and, you know, you, you just need to be brave enough to believe in yourself and then you just need to start. And nobody starts being perfect. 
like all of these success stories that you see, they started somewhere, you didn't know about them. They failed 10 times before they became who they are. They didn't wait for the perfect moment to start. And then day two, we're like, oh, now I'm great. You know, I have everything achieved. You just have to begin. So when you started your blog, you were not completely confident? I think the blog is... Um, I didn't start the blog with a goal of becoming a big blogger. You know, my only goal at the time was to get a job in social media, actually. Um, the blog started as a creative outlet, you know, and I didn't think from the beginning, well, I'm going to achieve all of these things with it. But with the blog, it was different. I was confident with the blog because it was, um, you know, it was me telling a story. But I wouldn't say that at the time that I started the blog that I knew 100%, you know, how to be an influencer or how to work with brands or, you know, how to take, you know, the best photos. In the beginning, I wouldn't even say my photos were that amazing. They were good photos, but they got better. I learned, you know, to take better photos. So I started because I was confident enough I could do it. You know, that's the thing. But I wasn't perfect from the beginning. It just it evolved and it grew. Beautiful. So to understand a bit more, where do you come from and uh, what's your past? I'm mm -hmm. going to come back to, to the beginning. Okay. Uh, I would like to understand where does your family come from? Mm. Where were you raised? Because you've been traveling a lot, moving to yeah. many different countries. So I'm a bit lost in this. And I would love <laughs> to understand a bit more your origins. I, I've been all over the world and I'm really kind of an international child. And I usually get very territorial about this question. I don't like to answer it because no matter where I go, I'm always a foreigner. And so people always ask me this question, you know. And people always try to figure out, like, where is this girl from? Like, why? You know, they just cannot place me. So, and I never have a simple answer to that story. You know, it's like it was never been a very straightforward kind of journey. Like, I, I was born in one place and I moved to another place. And I lived in five other countries and I traveled to 40 countries. So it's it's like um, I'm really a mix. But I, to answer the question, actually, you see, I have to always do this like uh, introduction to why um, the question is difficult for me. I was born in Moldova to a Russian mother and a Ukrainian father. So already right there, there were three nationalities in the house. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Canada where I grew up. And so I'm, I would say, kind of part North American, Canadian, part European. That's kind of my identity because in some ways I'm really, really Canadian and in some ways I'm really European. So when I would be in Canada, people would say, well, you're Canadian, but there's some things about you that are just different, you know, and if I would go back to Europe, no matter where I was, people would say, ah, oh, you sound like really North American, you know, they wouldn't see the European part inside. So it's always like a back and forth, you know, I never felt like I belong anywhere. So I just think of myself as a kind of international child. But where do you feel at home? Or how do you describe home then? Ah, uh, that's, um, I think home is where you don't, where you can just be, where you don't have to work hard to fit in or to try and understand the surroundings. It's where you can just be. For me, Canada is home because I grew up there and because my parents are there. And if I just go back there right now, I can just be myself. I don't have to worry about the language or the culture, you know, that that's home. And in some ways, Finland is that for me as well, because I had such a good time living there. Um, I lived there for three years for a master's degree. I have amazing friends there. I really built myself there. So I always, coming back always feels very easy and kind of very natural to me. So Zurich is still not your home? No, it's it's home in some ways, but I had a very tough time here in the beginning. You know, it was like a really a roller coaster of up and down. So I think it's it's close to feeling like home, but it's not it's not a place yet where I walk around and I feel completely comfortable. There are still a lot of times where I feel 
outside of my comfort zone, you know, something is very foreign or somebody doesn't get me or I don't get them. And so it doesn't feel fully comfortable yet. But it maybe brings a lot of inspiring moments and yeah, challenging moments also. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an adventure. It's yeah. a roller coaster every day. I mean, living abroad, it's like uh, it's a never ending adventure. So you were raised in Canada. So as you said, and you actually started your studies there. Mm hmm. So you chose to study business and uh, communication, and yeah. you also describe yourself as someone really creative. Mm -hmm. One can notice this uh, in your you. <laughs> in your social medias and all the things that you are creating every day. Yeah. But w why did you choose then to, to study business and communication? Were you sure that you could be that creative in these fields? That's a very good question. I I was always a creative person. I was always a writer, and I think in my you know. In grade nine, I wrote like one of the best essays in school. I loved literature and I wrote the best, you know, exam in the province, uh, the final exam on my literature in my literature class. So I was always a creative person. The business school decision kind of came as a trying to be a realist and thinking, well, I think a corporate career probably, you know, is a safer bet. And Um, I just didn't know what you could do with an English or a literature degree, you know, that would earn you money. At the time, you, you felt like you need to be safe. Yes, I, I felt like I need to be safe. I felt like, you know, I, I, I didn't know what you could do just as a creative person. I didn't have any examples in my life of people that were successful, uh, you know, just doing something creative. Because Everybody... you don't have artists, you don't have people like yeah. this in, around you. No, I did not. I did not, you know, and, and, and we moved to, you know, a new country just like 10 years before. And so I saw my parents, you know, struggle and I know what it's like to be new in a new place. And you have this mentality of like, I, I want to make it and I want to have a job and I want to have a career. And you just don't feel as safe, you know, trying things out and see where it goes. I always try to be very pragmatic and I went into business for that reason I was good at school. You know, I was always good at school. I was good at math. I was a straight A student, so I knew I could do it. Um, and I did well in business school, but my heart was never fully in it at the end. You know, everybody graduated and went on to, um, you know, to become accountants, to work in finance. I did Bachelor of Business Administration with a minor in economics. So I actually went like hardcore, you know, economics business. But after graduation, I actually got a job in politics and then in government. And this is where I saw the power of communication. This mm -hmm. is where I saw how communication and media shapes the world around us, affects the businesses around us, how much businesses need communication. And I think this is when this light bulb went off in my head that I can actually combine, you know, my creativity and writing and speaking with my business knowledge and business, you know, acumen. And I can do corporate communication. So, you know, it took it took a while to realize how I can combine these things in my life and actually do something that I'm good at and that I like. So you were doing this job in between your bachelor and your master's yes. in the government of British Columbia? Yes, right? exactly. And then you decided to continue with your studies mm -hmm. and you went to do your master's in Finland. Yeah, and, unexpected uh, choice, I guess. <laughs> yes, really unexpected, <laughs> at least for me. Yeah. Yes, I would like to understand why Finland? Yeah. When I did my bachelor degree, uh, I did a one-year-long exchange in Germany mm -hmm. at the time. Because in my bachelor, in addition to business, I also studied French. I studied German. Um, and Good I choice. <laughs> and I always had an eye towards Europe. You know, when you grow up international, it just stays inside you. You're always going to be an international person. You're always going to seek international experiences. So I did an exchange in my bachelor studies. And during this exchange, I, I met this girl 
uh, from Finland and we became best friends. Like we just really clicked and we stayed in touch. And when I was looking for a master's degree in Europe, I was looking all over the place. I was looking in Denmark. I was looking in Germany. I was looking in Norway. I, I love the Nordics. I think they have a great education system. So that was one of the reasons. And I was looking for a program that would really fit me. So at the time I already had a business education so I needed to focus and specialize so I was looking for communication and she just sent me this program from the university she said you know uh, I'm not gonna make you move to a place where I live but did you know there's this great program just you know just check it out just see and I saw the program and it sounded amazing um, I had all the qualifications for it I applied I got a full scholarship so they paid for all of my education they paid for me to live there as well so it was an amazing deal and it ended up being a really great school, a really great university. So it was like fate, you know, intervened and sent me there. But in the end, it was a perfect fit for me, actually. This is the magic of Scandin Scandinavian uh, studies. I mean, I was yeah. also doing Erasmus in Copenhagen. Oh. And just to see how students are being paid to study, for instance, yeah. and how yeah. the education system is working, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. During your studies, you received many awards. Oh. You received an award as Creative Student of the Year. You received an award for Women in Business. Yeah, you received an award cool. for your master thesis. So first of all, congratulations. Thank that's you. quite impressive. Thank you. And I was wondering, to receive the, all these awards, I, I guess you have to apply. Yeah. You, you have to show your work and mm -hmm. you have to be quite self-confident. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be as good as possible, but I think it's quite difficult to sell yourself like this. And I, I wanted to point this out, especially for a woman. Mm. Where did you get this self-confidence and this, also this, you know, this idea that it was important for you and mm -hmm. for your career, maybe mm -hmm. to be able to sell yourself and to sell the work that you were doing? That's a, that's a very, very good question. I hope I can answer it correctly because I think I could speak about this for an hour, <laughs> probably, because I think especially for women this is a skill that we need to learn very early on and that women struggle with because we think that we don't want to be aggressive we don't want to seem overconfident um here i would say business school helped a lot at least in north american business school because in addition to the studies what they taught us is that you always have to pitch yourself you always have to have a 30 second elevator pitch ready you know we did a lot of practice interviews there were a lot of career events where they would get us to practice coming up to recruiters coming up and already in the bachelors already in the bachelors yeah that was that yeah. was probably the best part of of the business education because you know they always say it's competitive and you know there are a lot of similar cvs everybody graduates you know with a business degree so you have to stand out and i think that's also a north american thing i would say now having lived in europe um you know for the last six years seven years yeah um, because i i did i mean i did a bachelor a, in economics and business and also a master's and i never you, received you didn't have that no <laughs> no i never no i remember this was um this is this is a north american thing it's a north american business school thing they they teach you that your personality makes you stand out your story makes you stand out um, and you have to be able to sell sell yourself, sell your skills, go in the room and be able to convince people. And I think also uh, when I moved and I actually started doing my SEMS degree, so I did a double degree in corporate communication and in SEMS, 
Um, so the SEMS, which is this program. It's a master in management. Yeah, it's, it's a Europe, really great program. Yeah, with the really good business schools all over Europe. Like So, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's usually, you know, it's it's the best, some of the best schools, the best business schools in Europe. Um, and in SEMS, they teach you that as well. So they really teach you, you know, the skills to present yourself, to stand out, to mm-hmm. be a leader, to be able to, yeah, to sell your profile. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> So during your studies, you've been working for different companies and organizations, mm-hmm. always doing communication? Always doing communication. Yeah. yeah. So I stayed, um, I really wanted to focus on communication. I did different aspects. In much, for example, I did a lot of uh, employer communication, employer branding and um, recruiting kind of communication, also internal communication, but digital. So on digital websites. In Rovio in Finland, I did social media and then I did also um, editorials. I did... Um, also a lot of digital communication. So what I tried to do is I tried to expand my portfolio. I was always mm-hmm. trying to get more skills and learn. And communication is like this vast field. And at every company, it's done differently. The department is structured differently. Um, the way they do communications is different, especially if you compare it. For example, when I was at Rovio, it was a gaming company. You know, it was, <clears throat> it was a great employer. It was super fun. It was entertaining. You know, the language, the tone of voice that they use is very different from when I worked in a bank where, you know, it's a much more restrictive industry and, you know, there's a lot of rules. And so the communication is done very differently. So I always try to challenge myself and do different things, you know, and build a portfolio where I could do, you know, a wide range. So I, I would be skilled and I, you know, would, would just, you could throw me in any situation and I would figure out a way, you know, to to be creative and to come up with a cool communication plan. So it was never for you to go in a specific sector. You really wanted to test different sectors. I, th- I think the tough thing about that is just because I was in different countries. You know, when yeah. I was in, in Finland, there are several companies where you could go in and Rovio at the time was just a very exciting company to be a part of. It was a great place to be. I didn't think, okay, I'm going to work, you know, for the rest of my life in the entertainment industry, although it's a great industry. In Paris, as you know, it's luxury industry is huge. It's the biggest employer, one of the biggest employers. Yeah, it is. Um, because I went to, I should say, Paris, I should say Paris. Um, you know, they have a very strong connection with the luxury sector, with LVMH, with Louis Vuitton. So they saw my profile, they saw my CV, and it was... It matched. It, it matched, yeah. So it just kind of happened. And then in Zurich, it ended up being the banking industry. And I think I don't need to explain. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense, yeah. Yeah, okay. So yes, actually, just after your, your year in uh, Paris, mm-hmm. you arrived in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So here we are. <laughs> That was three and a half years ago. Yes, What was the reason? Love. (laughs) (laughs) Can you take us through this story a bit? Uh, You know, um, I met my husband in Paris, actually. So I met and fell in love in Paris, which I never thought I would have this kind of uh, cliche romantic story. But here we are. And like any relationship, when, you know, when you're doing long distance, sooner or later, one person has to move for the other. I I know this. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he got a job in Zurich. And the the reasoning at the time was because I'm I'm international and I'm in communications, you know, I can also find a job in Zurich. It proved a lot harder than that. <laughs> it's not so easy in a place where it is, I mean, people are speaking Swiss German here. Yeah. And of course, you have a perfect English, but doesn't mean that it's so easy to find a job, I guess. It was super tough. And I moved at a difficult time because I moved, let's say, not at a very strategic time and I would not advise other people to move at this time in their in their career because I already had a lot of experience 
but I had just finished a master's degree. And so on my CV to like a European recruiter, it looked like I was junior, even though I was already quite senior. And the other thing was that I had a very strong network in Finland. You know, I went to the best university. I wrote an award-winning thesis. You know, I had jobs lined up there because I had a professional network. I had Mm -hmm. a personal network. They would see my CV and they would know the school. So, and right at that moment where I had done all this work to establish myself, I gave all of that up to move to a place where nobody knew me. Nobody, like not literally, I didn't know a single person when I moved to Zurich, you know, I knew zero. And I moved to a completely new market, um, different industries where, you know, they would look at my experience, and say, okay, that's great, but you have no experience in Switzerland. You've never studied in Switzerland. Your German is not good enough, you know, to do a communications role. Mm-hmm. So I had to start really, really from zero. And that was really tough. So your strategy then was to create your own blog. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking about the strategy. Was it actually a strategy? for you to get a job or to get yourself known. What was the idea behind? Because it was, you did it actually when you arrived straight away, yeah. right? Yeah, I literally just moved to Switzerland <laughs> and hence the name. Um, you know, it was two things because I mentioned in the beginning, I, I'm a creative person. I love to write and I process things by by creating something from them, by writing about it, by sharing them. This is just how I, you know, just go through the journey. And so when I moved, I was alone. I didn't know anybody. And I was starting this whole new life. I was in this city that I didn't know. And everything for me was exciting and interesting and difficult and different, you know. So I just started writing about it. I needed a creative outlet to put all of these feelings and emotions mm-hmm. because there was something new every day. And so it began as a creative outlet. But of course, as I was applying to jobs, I also realized I need to have something here in Switzerland where I can show in my portfolio, What look, you- I can write. I know social media. I manage a channel. I manage a community. I can create content. All of these things that you have, you know, in the job description, here I'm doing them and I'm doing them completely on my own because of my skills and my knowledge and my experience. So it was both. And did it work out? I mean, was it was it a big help for you to find a job at UBS, your your, your blog? I think it definitely helped. Absolutely. Yeah. I think in the end, it was the education and the experience and that in the interview, they, you know, once once you get to the interview stage and you can finally kind of prove yourself, um, I think they saw that I was qualified, but the blog added that extra kind of, this girl is motivated. You know, she moved, she had nothing and she built something from scratch. So, you know, she's, she's, she's motivated. She's kind of scrappy and she's here to get things done. So I think it just proved that I, I was, you know, ambitious and, and hardworking. So you became a digital communication manager at UBS. Mm-hmm. How many months after you arrived? So you arrived in January. When did, when did you get the job? June, I think it was. Okay. Six months in. Yeah. Okay. But you were then doing the two things at the same time. Yes. So blogging and working 100%. It was I exhausting. Guess. <laughs> I guess. And um, I think in the first year you got 10,000 people following you. Yeah. Yeah. And you became an influencer. I guess, yes. <laughs> I'm what not you, a big fan of that word. Exactly. Personally. What do you think of these words? What does it mean for you? There's a reason the word exists because you do get influenced by the people that you follow online more than you realize. You know, before it was celebrities that would influence us. And now it's somebody just with a big audience who maybe, you know, was not a celebrity, but now is who influences us. So the word has merit. But the reason I don't like it is because it has such a negative connotation now. You know, people think when you, when they say the word influencer, they don't, you don't think of somebody hardworking, you know, consistent, 
talented in some way. You just think, you imagine somebody who just woke up and started taking selfies and all of a sudden is getting free products. You know, it, yeah. it has a bad connotation. Did you get some criticisms like this? I mean, do you do you see that people have kind of a stigma against uh, the job that you're doing actually now? Um, I have a positive, a very positive community, I would say. And my and so the I think of myself as a blogger rather than an influencer because I was uh -huh. writing a, an actual blog. I still have you know a blog, and then the Instagram was an addition to the blog. But but the blog today is not the main thing, right? Because I mean, I, I I went through it, and of course there are many things, and there is a lot of content. Mm -hmm. But we can see that it's not as up to date as your Instagram, as Instagram. account. And yeah. many bloggers have exactly the same story. Like they started with a blog, and then mm -hmm. actually uh, Instagram took over. You know, that was actually just a time constraint thing. Very honestly, blog article would take you, you know, three hours to edit all the photos and to really come up with three hours minimum. I would say, you know, to really have text that's interesting and worth reading, because yeah. you would write, you would edit it. Um, and with an Instagram post, it's just faster. So yeah. it was a, the reality of, you know, having a full-time job during the day that I just didn't have as much time to to do both. And I still wanted to, you know, talk to my audience. So Instagram took over in that sense because I could just do it a little bit quicker. But it's also the reality of the market. I mean, today people are not really reading blogs Only anymore. Blogs as much. It's true. I think there are still some really great blogs out there. And if you do it consistently, you do it well and you have a newsletter and you really communicate with your audience, it's still the a great channel. The newsletter is maybe the... Yeah, the, newsletter, newsletter the is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I think it's still a great channel. I love blogs. I still read blogs. Maybe I'm old school. But I always advocate for blogs because I think, you know, Instagram, it's, it's a powerful platform. But you are always at the whim of the algorithm. Yeah. You know, sometimes you create amazing content. Nobody sees it just because the algorithm that day decided... That, you know, that it would not be you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not your day. Exactly. And you have no control over that, you know? So sometimes yeah. it's like a very unforgiving platform. Whereas on the blog, you you are fully in control. Um, I think I would not discourage people from having a blog. If you had like some tips, I'm sure like many people who are going to listen to us would be interested in growing their audience also. Yeah. So maybe like three or five do's or don'ts mm -hmm. to, yeah, to people who, who want to create something. I think the first thing you have to think about is just, Be smart about why you want to have an audience and why you want to have a followership. Like, what what is your reason? Do you have a business that you want to grow? Do you want to build your personal brand? You know, are you selling some kind of product? Do you want to become an influencer? Because depending on what you want to achieve, you're going to do different things. And the second thing is don't just go in and start posting. You have to think, so, okay, now I know what my goal is and why I'm doing this. Then you create a strategy, you decide what the strategy is. And then from that strategy, you know, you decide every week the things that you need to do to achieve to get to that goal. I think the misconception people have is that you just get up one day and you start posting and then it just starts to grow. And, you know, you just do a couple of tips and tricks and then boom, you know, you're successful. So when you started, you had a strategy like this. When you started, just moved to Switzerland on, on Instagram, you had a strategy, for instance. What I had is a story. And I think what made me maybe stand out is that one, I was very focused. I wanted this to be a blog about the journey of moving to Switzerland. And I didn't write about other things. You know, I, I kept it focused on that. So I didn't write like, oh, you know, now I had the tacos for lunch or, you know, I didn't write about kind of personal things that I thought had nothing to do with this story. I was very uh -huh. focused in the story stage, very curated because I knew that this is what people are interested in. And I wanted to keep the story purely focused on that. Yeah. The second thing I did is that, like I said, I didn't focus it so much on me, me, me. I wanted people to relate and to, you know, imagine themselves also going through this journey so that it would become a community so that people could 
see themselves in this, you know, relate to my writing, relate to what's going on, or just be interested in the story. Actually, that's something that's evolved because in the beginning, I remember you were not really showing yourself. Yes, I didn't. I didn't have any photos of my face. Exactly. I, yeah, that happened over time. Slowly. And at some point, you were asking your community, "Do you want to see me more?" Yeah. Why did you change like this? Because now we we see you. Mm -hmm. I don't think we see your husband, but I think... <laughs> no, no, no. He's always behind the scenes. We, we, we still see you much more. I mean, you are on almost all the pictures or... or yes, yeah. that's true. That was, again, a constraint thing in the beginning. Uh, there was nobody to take photos of me. Uh, you know, I was it was me alone in the city with the camera. And it was really the city through my eyes, you know, Switzerland through my eyes. So I still like to keep those photos where I'm not in the picture. But over time, I also kind of realized that If I'm in the photo, it creates a kind of context, you know, like people see me and they can imagine themselves in my place. So it just sometimes tells a better story than just just a photo of a landscape or just a photo of a street. So I wanted to be kind of an avatar through which people imagine themselves doing the same things or going through the same things. And it was a good challenge also because I was like, you know, I was never a model or anything. It takes time to learn to pose in photos and, you know, how to make it a beautiful photo, how to kind of put it together so that it looks good. Is, so it, also it, a good one, is it also one of the tips that you could give to make your community grow? It's actually something that's quite known, like people have to, mm -hmm. to have a face, to have something really personal. Was it a way for you to make it more personal, maybe? I think this is, this is where it depends because I think it's always good to let people know that there there's a person behind the mm -hmm. account that it's, it's somebody is writing this somebody's doing this somebody's going through these experiences but you can also have a fantastic blog that people connect to let's say you're an artist and you just put your artwork on mm -hmm. the blog you know and you can put the behind the scenes or the how to how you did it and the process and then the finished artwork your supplies your cat who sits next to your supplies whatever right and that's still interesting if you're not comfortable putting yourself and your face on there you don't necessarily always need to it just it really depends on what story you're telling you know is it a business page is it a product page in my case i was telling the story of a girl a woman i should say moving to a new country and all of the things that come with it you know the good parts and the bad parts the exciting and the difficult and I just thought at some point if people just see me in the photo, it would just add that more authenticity that it, I don't just always stay behind the screen, especially when I was writing about difficult things, you uh -huh. know, especially when yes. I would say, look, today was not a good day. You know, it's tough being an expat, uh, you know, you're always outside your comfort zone, whatever it is. And seeing me in the photo just made it more authentic and, and relatable that I'm not just hiding behind, you know, some just a photo of a street or something. You became a public face, I uh -huh. guess. I, I mean, guess. that's crazy. It's still crazy to think that, but a I mean, little bit, people recognize you at least, or in Switzerland. That has I happened mean. to me, yeah. It, that's a crazy feeling when people come up to you on the street and say hi, because I'm, I mean, I'm not at all, I'm like a baby celebrity, you know, not even a celebrity, just uh, it's funny to think of yourself as a public person. But you're right, I am in a way. I guess people also come to you because they feel that you are close to them. Because of this Instagram, it creates kind of a proximity. People, I guess, there to, to talk to you, to send you messages. Yeah. Has it been changing you? No, I wouldn't say it changed me. It's it's surreal, you know, because you, you are just you. And um, when people start to recognize you, you're like, huh, is this happening to me? Like, this is, uh -huh. uh, it, it's a strange feeling. But, you know, the blog is just one part of my life. And there's a lot of me that is not in the blog on purpose because I wanted this to be about a journey in Switzerland. So there are a lot of things that happen in my life, a lot of things that I do, a lot of thoughts that I have 
that are never on there. So yeah. people know this one aspect of me and they associate this with me. And that's that's very interesting because, of course, outside of the blog, I have this whole other life also, you know, that I live. And uh, when you become this public person, mm -hmm. when you have this voice, do you think that you have a responsibility at some point? Because I never see you speaking about politics or about social topics or about mm -hmm. environment. Have you been thinking about this? Like you now have 42,000 people following you. Do you think that you that you have something to say maybe more? Do you think at some point that you have to give your opinion on stuff? I think that's a very good question. So first, like, I still, you know, I don't think of myself as a public person. Like, that's very interesting because people come to me and say, you're a public persona and I, I don't feel it. But it's true, you know, you have an audience and therefore you are. And you um, have a voice. I mean, with these 42,000 people following you, you really have a voice. You have a voice, yes. And I I like to talk about things that I know a lot about, that I've experienced personally, where I think my voice is credible. And I always thought that my voice is credible when it comes to living abroad and having this international experience. Uh, you know, that's why I speak about this topic and I say, you know, this is difficult. This is easy. This is how you get over it. Um, I don't know very much about politics in Switzerland. So I don't think I have a credible opinion, you know, to to give on this or that. If I were to post something, I would need to research it 20 times, you know, because I would just not <laughs> feel, feel secure enough. I would not feel secure enough. And I think you should use your voice for, you know, for good. Like you should inspire people in some way. You should... Uh, you know, push them to think about things differently, give them more knowledge, give them confidence. And I do that in my own little way about this, about this experience, because I have a lot of people writing me and saying, thank you for, you know, talking about this. I feel less alone. Like your blog really helped me to come here. I was really scared and I thought it was just me, but now I feel better, you know, so it does have its own like little social component that really yeah, helps people. I'm thinking people. now, but I, I remember I saw one post about uh, the difficult part of being an expat. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that everything is actually difficult. Everything yeah. is yeah. a struggle that you're far from your family, far from you. Yeah. Is this kind of thing that you mean that people come to you and say, thank you for sharing this? Yeah, absolutely. Because I have expats who follow me, but also a lot of Swiss who follow me. And I think it creates, it bridges, you know, this kind of knowledge that, It just creates a little bit more understanding that it, it's it's hard to live abroad. It's exciting and we're grateful for this experience, but it's also super tough. Yeah, you know, you're never on your comfort zone. You're never in your comfort zone. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. When you live abroad, the country that you live in is so much in the top of your mind every day. Because anything that happens, it's like, okay, I went and didn't understand that some what something said. Right, because I live in Switzerland and they speak Swiss German. You know, if I went somewhere and I didn't know there was this specific rule for this or that, oh, right, because I'm in Switzerland, you know, you, you are so aware every day that you are living somewhere else, yeah. that you are a foreigner. It's like looking you in the face. When you live at home, I mean, you know, you maybe remember, you know, you, you take out the flag on National Day and you cheer for the team, you know, in Olympics, but you don't think every day, like, I live in Canada, I live in Canada, I live in Canada. You just are. You just yeah, breathe the exactly. air and you just are you. And so there's this extra aspect of the foreignness. It's super tough. You know, it makes everything more complicated. So this is your I think it's just topic in, on which you, you are really giving your voice. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> like being, being an expat myself, I really, I relate and I understand. So just a few months ago, you actually mm -hmm. quitted your job at UBS. Yes. Back mm -hmm. in January to become fully an entrepreneur. So you're Good timing, no? <laughs> I guess it was a perfect timing. I guess this is scary, of course, to yeah. do this step. Mm -hmm. What made you click? You know, what made you change and, and say like, okay, this is the good moment. I'm going to do it. 
I'm ready and I'm not scared. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it was confidence. I was never scared because I, I mean, I moved here not knowing anybody, you know, I moved to Finland, I moved across the oceans and started the crazy projects. And so I wasn't actually so scared about the risk of it. It was just kind of feeling that it was the right time. It was the timing that needed to feel right. And I had been at UBS for almost three years and I learned a lot there. You know, I had a really great experience and I've always wanted to try and be self-employed and work on my own. That was always, always in the back of my head because I'm just just that kind of a person, you know, who loves to try different projects, work with different people. Um, I love the independence of it. So it was always in my mind. But when I first moved, I didn't have a network. I didn't have the knowledge of the industry here. And I knew that I have to prove myself first and I have to work and see how things are done here in Zurich, here in Switzerland. So I took on a corporate job. It was a great job. Um, you know, it was obviously a very reputable employer and I learned a lot working there. I learned not just, you know, inside the company, but just about the industry as a whole, about how people work in Switzerland, you know, how these things are done. What are the rates? You know, what are the roles? How are things structured? It, it taught me a lot yeah. and it and I was waiting for the moment where I felt like, okay, I've learned as much as I need right now to feel confident that I've, you know, I've built a profile and people know me and I have the skills and experience here in Switzerland that people would trust me also, you know, as a, as a freelancer, as a consultant. So it was, it was the timing. And at the end of the year, um, the timing felt right and not just kind of qualified wise, you know, we come back to this question of, you know, am I qualified enough to start? Not just myself knowing that I know all this, I have the expertise, I can do it. But just, I think also as an, as an expat, Feeling comfortable enough in the Feeling country. Feeling comfortable enough because for me, the metaphor is when you start a new business anywhere, right? When you go self-employed, if you're home, it's like somebody takes you to a cliff and you see the sea below and they say, jump. <laughs> this is starting a business. You know, it's so risky. You don't know what's going to happen. When you're an expat, because you don't, you're like on top of everything else, you're in a foreign place. It's like they take you to a cliff and you don't see the sea <laughs> and you <laughs> jump. Jump. <laughs> Yeah. This is, you know, it's an extra level of risk. It's yeah. hard. So I just needed to feel that both, you know, myself and, and kind of where I am in this expat experience, I feel comfortable with the timing. And I guess you had al already been starting your business in a way. You were already yes. earning some money with your blog yes. and with your social medias. Yes. I guess this was also a big part of feeling more secure. Absolutely. Because, you know, I had been working full time and then having, let's say, what you would call a side hustle, so to speak, right? The side job uh, yeah. for almost three years. And of course, it gives you confidence that okay, I've already started a little bit, so I know kind of how it works. And I have, I'm not starting from zero. I'm yeah. building on something that's already there. Was it enough already to earn a living? Or what was your plan then to earn your life? You're not only doing blogging. I know that you're doing consulting. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you think your strategy? I wouldn't actually want to earn my whole living from blogging. Um, mm -hmm. because it's it's a creative challenge. It's a great business challenge as well because you manage your brand, you manage your opportunities. And as we, as we talked earlier, you know, I am completely in control of what I write, how I write it, what I do. I decide the strategy. But there's a lot of other things that I like to do. You know, I wouldn't want to be a blogger only. I do love to consult. I do love to freelance. I love to write about other things. I love to get projects, you know, where people want me to advise them on, on the strategy, on the execution, how to do things. So... I always knew that I wouldn't do just the blog. For me, it was always going to have to be different income streams. 
But this was all new things. Were you already doing consulting and... Uh, I started doing a little bit of consulting when I was still okay. um, at the bank, just small projects here and there just to try and understand kind of how it works. But yeah, it's 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 a lot of building from zero. You know, you just, you just start it. How did you start? How did you get your first client with your blog? Was it someone, uh, a client that came to you or have you been doing business development since the beginning? How has it been for you? I did very little business development, to be honest, because I had no time. Uh -huh. <laughs> just, I only had time to, you know, post and create and write. So I think the really kind of business savvy bloggers, they do a lot more when they want to live off the blog, especially they do a lot of business development. They go to a lot of events, they network a lot, they pitch themselves. I didn't do that because I didn't, I just didn't have the capacity time-wise. So for me, it was uh, an agency reached out to me and said, we love your blog. We love, you know, um, how you talk about Switzerland. We have this project. Uh, we'd love you to, you know, be on board. And so it was through agencies. It was not a client coming, coming directly to you. It was both. Uh, okay. I would say it's 50-50. And can you describe a bit what, what are you doing for your clients or for, for agencies? Like what, what kind of projects do you do? Yeah, it depends. Uh, like all projects are really different. But I mean, an example would be an agency comes and says, um, we have a campaign for this brand. We want to promote this particular service or this product. This is the timeline. And, you know, we think the blog would be a great fit because, you know, it's a Swiss product and you talk about Switzerland. So, uh, you know. Then you, they kind of use your influence. I mean, the, the, all the people following you, but you also have to, to create content for them. I do create content. So sometimes... Um, you know, I'm hired to create content for the brand that doesn't go on my channel. And uh -huh. other times I create content that does go on my channel. Do you have uh, advices to companies or agencies, actually, who would like to work with influencers like you? Mm -hmm. I'm asking this because I think people like me don't really have an idea of how it works. And it, it's, it's still like a, a business that is unknown. Is it? Do you think so? It's so funny. I'm so deep in it that I, I feel like everybody knows. Uh, but no, I have no idea <laughs> how it works. So that's why I'm super happy to talk to you. I think it would be interesting for all these companies to understand what, what is the advice? What's the best way to work with an influencer? First of all, if you find an influencer that's a good fit, then half the job is done. Because usually what I see companies is they, I think they struggle to find the right influencer. So they kind of hire, you know, whoever is kind of available. And then it's tougher to tell the story. If the influencer is a good fit with the brand, with the brand values and what the brand is, you know, about, um, then the second thing you have to do is you have to trust them to create content that is authentic to their channel. Because if it's like pure advertising, it's not going to connect with the audience, right? Because at the end, at the end of the day, you have probably two goals. You want to either promote the product to promote sales of the product or the service, or you want to create awareness around it. Like you just want people to know mm -hmm. the brand. And both of those things are going to happen much more naturally if you let the influencers talk to their audience in their own voice, in their own matter, because then it's authentic. So you basically give them some guidelines, maybe? That's very important, actually. You need to give a good brief, because uh -huh. if you give a good brief and you say, this is what we want, you know, this is... Um, this is our expectation. These are the do's and don'ts, but mm -hmm. the rest of it, you know, please be creative. You have a framework within which you can be creative and do your own things. And that's much easier than if the brand just says, oh, well, kind of try this or try that. Then, then it's much easier to make a mistake because you just don't have clear guidelines. So you do need to have a very good brief. And how is it like the, in this case, like in the best case, which I guess is not always the case, but <laughs> yeah. you get the budget and they say like, you do whatever you want with it. Or... No, there's always a defined deliverable. So they would usually say we want one post or one story or uh -huh. two posts and three stories. There's always a defined deliverable of what you need to create for the brand. 
And so you got more and more specialized in working with tourism. Mm -hmm. Was it a choice of you? I mean, nowadays, like your feed is full of pictures of the mountains. You're going really often in the mountains yeah. uh, all over Switzerland. Yeah. Before it was really, really much about Zurich. Mm -hmm. And was it your choice? And is it also your choice to go into tourism like this? Yeah, I love the tourism industry. It, what I love is that through the blog, I now have an insight into another industry, quite a good, you know, sp specific insight, which I didn't have before. Um, it happened um, naturally because it's just, you know, I thought I, I'm in a new country. I want to explore it. And it made sense, you know, it made sense for the blog to travel and to see more of Switzerland. But I'm still a Zurich girl at heart. Zurich will always be my main topic and what I talk about. But this year, you know, it was a very special year where, you know, the tourism industry was struggling, was trying to attract people to stay in Switzerland and explore Switzerland. So there were a lot of opportunities to do a lot of cool stuff and 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 support them and, and travel and do these projects. So um, was a special year in that sense. But I would not, I would never have a blog that's just about traveling around because especially now, now that I've lived here for longer, I've seen already a lot of places in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So I do love the travel, but I'm also very interested in the everyday life. Like what is my everyday life in Zurich like? You know, what am I eating? You know, where am I eating? Where am I shopping? What am I doing? You know, this this is still very, very interesting to me and that's still going to be there. I would like to know how do we, as the audience, mm -hmm. can trust you mm -hmm. when we know now that you are getting paid more and more mm -hmm. for what you're doing because it becomes a living. Mm -hmm. How can we trust the influencers? And how do you do to make sure that uh, you keep this authenticity, you don't lose credibility by being mm -hmm. paid with partnerships? It also goes with how do you choose the partnership? Do you say no sometimes? I say uh, no a lot Yeah, because I want to keep the voice of the blog that I've always had. I want to keep it authentic. I choose partnerships based on, is this going to be interesting for my audience? Yeah. Is this something that I would do myself, uh, you know, but haven't had the chance to do yet, but now I have the chance to do it. So that would be a really cool story. And I also choose it as a creative challenge. I think, oh, would, would this be a fun project to work on? Is this going to push me creatively? Is this going to, you know, um, tell an interesting story? So that that's how I choose. Um How is your strategy? How do you, do you say yourself, for instance, I, I need to keep uh, 50% of the content I'm creating not paid, for instance. Do you have some kind of rules like this to make sure that you keep this really mm -hmm. non-interested content? So the, the thing is, for example, if I do a partnership with a tourism board, This is content that in my in my mind, at least I think, is very interesting to the audience. Like it's a partnership, but I am out there, you know, giving tips on where to go and how to travel and what to do. And these are things I probably would have done myself eventually, but I'm doing it now because now there is a project and I'm able to actually oftentimes show even more things that I maybe wouldn't have known, you know, because when you work with the tourism board, they tell you, hey, there's also like, there's this really cool hike that most people don't know about. You can go and you can show that. Like there's this really cool store here you can visit. So they give me all this knowledge and I get to share that knowledge in a fun and creative way through my channel. So I try to pick projects that I think are also interesting for yes. the audience. I fully understand. And with hikes, it makes sense. But like with a restaurant, for instance, mm -hmm. maybe it's not your favorite restaurant, but you sh you... You sh you have to show it as a super mm -hmm. nice restaurant, so mm -hmm. it it can be challenging, I guess, to to you know to to stay the, to keep your voice, you know, yeah. to your original voice. I guess I, that, that that's why I'm asking. Yeah, but you know, I've also had to understand that um, people love to have options. You know, they want to know about the different options. So if I go to a restaurant that I think is 
like a very good restaurant, but maybe not my favorite restaurant. But for somebody, it would be yeah. like their favorite restaurant in the city. Yeah. Then of course I should cover it. You know, it's uh, it's not just about purely my taste. You know, it goes back to it's not just Larissa. It's like I'm I'm talking about you know the experience of living and traveling. Yeah, here, but I think so. people trust you. They do, but yeah. then they they have to trust me that I um, am very selective and very picky. You okay. know, when I work with hotels, I'm very selective. Before I say yes to any partnership I read like I go on TripAdvisor I go on Booking I read all the reviews and then only yeah, then if you I want see to be like sure. it's a yes because it, because the thing is it's also my time so if you imagine that I'm at a hotel I'm there for three days and I have to deliver you know three photos I'm working I'm not just on vacation you know I'm working I'm shooting content I'm shooting stories I'm writing about it they expect deliverables I'm not just sitting by the pool you know it's three days of my work so if I'm there and I don't like it and then I have to write about it this is three days out of my life I can't get back you know so I value my time so I would not go somewhere that I don't like just for the sake of kind of being there you know if I want to go to a hotel and relax then I would leave my phone at home and uh -huh. I would just not uh, you know post about it super interesting I have another question on this topic is how do you actually do and has it been a challenge to value your yourself and your work you know how do, how do you define your worth? I think this is a challenge for all self-employed um and all freelancers and, yes. and content creators and all bloggers because it's um It's not a very transparent industry. You know, there are no rates posted anywhere. Um, you have to calculate how much time it takes you to do a project. And you have to think about what is the value that you're bringing, you know, your community, your audience, your reach. And it takes time. It takes time to figure out what is a fair rate. You don't automatically get paid, you know, big bucks. Uh, you don't get money thrown at you. You have to negotiate and you have to prove what you're delivering. So has it been a challenge for you to negotiate? And to what extent has it been evolving since the first contract? Like, <laughs> have you been increasing your prices a lot uh, depending on? Yeah. I mean, as you grow um, and you get more and more experience and you, you have a bigger reach, of course, you should be looking at your prices and seeing what's fair. Um, But you do it all, all by yourself. Yes. Oh, you, you got some help. You, you were asking for One woman advice. show. <laughs> so I think this is where it's important to talk to others in the industry and to share knowledge and to share, you know, your experiences and what you're doing. That helped me a lot, talking to others. But it was, you know, it was always just me. So, I mean, I work in communication. I work in social media. So I know what the rates are. You know, I know the industry. I know what the effort is worth. I know what experience is worth. I know what reach is worth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've done campaigns on the other side as a corporate, you know, in corporate. I know what you would pay Facebook for, um, you know, um, paid reach of, of 40,000. So I know these numbers. It's just, but then you have to, you know, put together a portfolio and negotiate and prove that you're worth it. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And there you also always have to have a cutoff and say, I just, I cannot take on any project that is, you know, below this amount because it's just, it's just not worth it. You know, unless I'm learning a ton, you know, or it's a really, really unique experience. And I really think, you know, this is going to be worth it. But at the end of the day, it's your time, uh, it's your voice and it, it has to be worth it. I, I had this really interesting discussion in the podcast with Viz Bradby mm -hmm. about how to define your prices as an entrepreneur also. Mm -hmm. It's it's really, I think it's really interesting. She's explaining how when your prices are not high enough, 
your you your devalue value. yourself yeah. yeah yeah you devalue yourself exactly so that's super important it's super important i think when but a lot of people when they start you know they're just grateful to get any project um you know yeah. there and and if you a big company comes to you you're kind of blinded by a big name and you're scared to you know say no or negotiate back and it just takes it takes time and experience to get the confidence and the confidence comes if you keep doing it the confidence comes and you definitely have to push yourself to negotiate you have to push yourself because even if you lose, you know, this one client because you didn't negotiate well, well, you will learn from that how to negotiate better, but you have to do it. That's inspiring. We are coming to the last part of the interview. First of all, I wanted to know a bit, how do you do to kind of organize your life? Oh my uh, because gosh. You, yeah, you have many projects. You are yeah. we were, you were talking about these weekends that you spend in the hotels. I guess that you're doing this also with your husband. I know that he's taking many pictures. He's very good, yeah. But I guess it has a big impact on your on your personal life. It does, yeah. So how do you do? Where do you put boundaries? I think this is where it helped that the blog is focused on Switzerland and all the experiences related to Switzerland. So if something is happening, you know, if we were traveling outside... I would never blog about it. So we really have a vacation. I'm a creative person. So, you know, creative people, at least in my mind, a creative person kind of wakes up and does, you know, whatever the inspiration is that day and kind of goes with the feeling with the flow. So I had to learn from zero to be very, very organized because you just, you cannot run multiple projects and you cannot run a blog just thinking, oh, tomorrow I'll write about this and I'll wake up and I'll see what I want to do. You have to be very organized. So it's, a lot of to-do lists. It's very, very detailed planning. And even now... So you're saying, for instance, I have uh, two days uh, of content creation and then I have two days working as a consultant and then... In the beginning, when I still had the full-time job, it was like I have a daytime job and in the evening when I have time, I have the blog. And mm -hmm. on the weekends, I have the blog. And it was not very sustainable because I was working all the time. Yeah, so I was absolutely exhausted and by monday i would be tired and i would be cranky and my husband would say yeah because you worked seven days you didn't have a single day off where you did nothing so actually what i did is i, I reduced my um, time at ubs to 80 percent, which started to help a lot so i would take fridays off and i wouldn't work on anything so i would work monday to thursday in my corporate job and then saturday and sunday on the blog so i had fridays off and i would just sleep and then once i had all of my time to myself I really then looked at the way I was doing the blog and realized I need to be a lot more structured. So I do need to have content creation days and posting days and a plan and then days when I don't do anything on it because things are already prepared and I can focus on other things because it's very hard in one day to do three different projects. You have to put these boundaries and I try now as much as possible to have complete days off because That's, that's, you know, that's the tough thing about entrepreneurship is that you think you have all this time. So you try to fill all your time and then you realize quite quickly that there's a reason you get weekends because you need to rest because I mean, I'm a workaholic. I can work all the time. I'm motivated. I love the things I'm working on, but I know that if I don't take a day off, it's going to, 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 to you, crack. You, yeah. You crack, you get tired and you start to lose the inspiration after a while because you just, you need to give your brain a time to reset. So it just, it does not work if you are not ridiculously organized and as we were saying before mm -hmm. when you are going to the office from nine to six you have yeah. the feeling that you've been efficient because you uh, put on a suit and you sat at a desk and yeah yeah but it doesn't mean that you're efficient but when you are working from home you actually could spend like all you your nights so all your evening yourself. yeah and you still have the feeling that you haven't been doing so much yes because you didn't go out you didn't see anybody you were just in front of your laptop 
Um, and you probably took a lot less coffee breaks than you would, you know, at the exactly. office, but you still kind of feel very tough on yourself. Well, did I really do anything today? I'm not sure. Yeah. So that's also, I had to think very clearly, what does work mean to me? When do I feel like I've been productive? What do I need to do in a day to kind of put a check mark and say, okay, today was a successful day? Because you need that feeling of uh, achievement. You don't have a boss. You don't have colleagues. There's nobody who can kind of reflect back on you and say, hey, you did a good job or hey, you did a lot you know, you did a big project, like congratulations, whatever. There's there's nobody to be tough on you and there's nobody to be nice to you. You have to be <laughs> your own boss and you have to motivate yourself. But in the other side, what is the best advantage that you get from this? Oh, the freedom, of course. The freedom, the freedom to be your own boss is amazing. Yeah. So I have a question that I really always like to uh -oh. ask. Do you believe in the concept of sorority, sisterhood? Yes, 100%. To what extent has it been helping you here in Switzerland? I've met incredible women here. And I thank the blog for that a lot because I've come across, uh, you know, women that have reached out and said, you know, I love what you do or, you know, can we meet for a coffee? I think we have a lot in common. That has been amazing. And I've definitely had women who um, tried to help me or mentor me, offer me advice or just kind of support me just by, you know, having a conversation, having yeah. a coffee. And I believe in that 100%. I think um, women definitely need to talk to one another need to share their experiences. The thing is, we tend to go through similar experiences. We tend to make similar mistakes. We tend to have similar challenges. We tend to have similar insecurities and similar questions. And because of the the society that we live in, because of the circumstances we face, because of, you know, how we were shaped in school. And so we need to talk to one another to see how we overcome these, you know, like we just need to talk to one another. So you do this by on face to face because you could also use your blog to, to, to you know, to share well, these I, kind of things. I try to do that. I try to do that now with, uh, with my personal account. So I try yeah. to I try to do more of that because I'm passionate about this and I, I didn't feel like that's something I can do as much on, on just move to Switzerland because that, you know, it doesn't that's a different story. Exactly. Um, but for me, me personally, who I am and what I stand for, I'm very, very big on, you know, women helping women, women just, um, just being bosses, you know, just, just like dreaming big, being fearless, failing, getting right back up. Um, and I believe that you need to see an example of that. You know, you see an example of a woman doing that and then you're like, okay, I can do it too. And you need to feel this kind of, you know, just it's a com community feeling, you know, that, that you're surrounded by this awesomeness and you feel like, okay, I, you know. So I guess you're a feminist. I don't like labels. I'm very anti-label because, because like, like we said before, when I was talking about, you know, people ask me, where did you move from? You know, I feel like people always want to like put a label on me and I'm very territorial about not having any label on me. So you would not like to get the feminist uh, label on you? I mean, I'm not... It's, it's, it's super interesting because after what you just said about mm -hmm. sorority, it's, it's super interesting that you say so. I think that different people have a different understanding of what it is to be a feminist yes different definition different definition i will give you uh, i will tell you a short story so i was at this top 100 women ceos in canada event and there were two different rooms and in different rooms there were different panels and i very distinctly remember it was the it was a first i think banking ceo um, female ceo in canada and she said had there not been women on the board of this bank i would not have been female ceo So I wouldn't, I would not have been chosen. So we need women to support women. We need women to speak up for women. We need to push each other. We need, you know, 
So she was very pro quotas on boards that there need to be, you know, female quotas. Then I went into the other room and in that room, also powerful women CEOs, but this was um, natural resources industry. So kind of mining and and Mm -hmm. industry, like heavy, heavy materials industry. And I, and she, you know, the, the CEO that was speaking there, she was super tough. And she said, I don't think of myself as a woman every day. I just am who I am. I'm competent. I'm smart. I'm tough as hell. And I get things done and I don't need to, you know, kind of uh, use my female card, you know, mm-hmm. to to get ahead. And I don't need to have, you know, other women kind of support me enough. Like if they're if they are qualified, like I don't see gender kind of thing. Right. And mm-hmm. so. That was so interesting because you had in the same event, like two very different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. And that was the first time I realized that, you know, women themselves, they they fall on different spectrums of what it means to be a strong woman who's succeeding and what it means to be a feminist. Like, would you say one is a feminist and not the other? Yeah. I don't know, because I actually related to both. Like, I totally understand that you need women supporting each other to get to a certain part. But I also don't often want to talk about my gender all the time you know I just want to be I just want to be successful I just want to achieve and I want to be recognized but I know very well that there are some things you know built in society that will prevent me from doing that based on my gender so it's a complicated discussion yeah, to it, have. I, I was going to say it could we, yeah, yeah it can go on forever no, I could but this is where I st- and this <laughs> is where I stand you know like this is kind of uh, why I, I um, why you don't put a label on you why I don't always put a label on it yeah yeah so now are the final questions coming Where do you get your inspiration from? Mm. I love art. I go to art galleries and I love looking at art and I love reading. I read fiction. So like reading and art is where my brain rests and looks at other things and gets inspired by kind of beautiful things and beautiful stories. And then I, I'm ready okay. again to What means create. success for you? I think what I said in the beginning, knowing who you are, what you want and going after it fearlessly. Do you have a favorite place in Zurich, a coffee or restaurant mm. that you would, that you would recommend? Oh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, if I need a recharge, I go for a walk. Um, I go for a walk through Old Town and across the uh, Münsterbrücke, the bridge, and then I go towards the lake, and the lake always gives me energy. So it's the city more than it's the a city. particular particular yeah, place. Looking at what you achieved, uh, has it been a really difficult part? Sometimes that has been more difficult than the others. Absolutely. The the first moving here and having to rebuild myself from scratch, not just from a career perspective, but also just mentally realizing that you have to rebuild your identity and yourself. Uh, that was tough. It led to success. <laughs> <laughs> What yes. are you scared of? I'm scared of of letting fear stop me from something. What would you do if you were a man for 24 hours? Oh, Good question. I remember you asked that question. I thought, oh, I have such a great answer to this. And I don't have an answer now. Um, I don't know. I probably would record every single thought I had in my head to see how men think so that I have so I can come back to that afterwards and uh, be able to understand them better. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) And do you have someone that you would recommend for this podcast? Um, I would recommend Alina Russ who is a founder of Lola's Vegan Kitchen. She's amazing. She's a great businesswoman. She's very inspiring. And I think she would be she would be fun to talk to. That's nice. Thank you for the tip. Yeah. <laughs> well, Larissa, it's the end of the interview. Thank you very much for coming. And Thanks for, for having me. 
for your time. It was super interesting. Uh, so I wish you a very nice day. Yes, thanks for having me. It was fun. That's it. Our discussion is over. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you would like to help me grow brilliant, it's super easy. All you need to do is to rate this podcast with five stars, to add a nice comment and to share it around you. This is precious. And don't forget, as Larisa says, just be brave enough and believe in yourself. À bientôt sur Brillante.